Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're only as good as your word. And he stands by his. This is the Roy Green Show. are going to pick a new premier but they are generally worried about giving that person whether it's Doug Ford whether it's the conservatives whether it's the NDP too much power they're worried about giving them too much of a free hand because they're concerned about what that might mean for our economy and for our future and guess what it is that makes them concerned it might be the uh, last 642 years you were in power Madam Wynn with your, this is how long it felt with your predecessor, Monsieur McGinty. Just possible. And by the way, you're wrong because, as Daryl Bricker told us, the CEO of Ipsos, voters are actually looking for a majority government in Ontario. They're actually looking for a majority government. I had an interesting interview well, with Daryl Bricker at the beginning of the show. Not everybody heard that. So we'll play that back for you at the top of the next hour. And, uh, and then I have some questions that have to do with the, uh, with the importance of the election in the province of Ontario. There are many people in Canada who look at Ontario as being, there's, I was trying to think of something that Denny Kadare said, but I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to wrong the former mayor of Montreal, because God knows he never wronged anybody. Um, anyway, it wasn't very polite what he said, but I'll play back uh, the interview with with Daryl Bricker. With me now is have you ever got a dog with you? No. <laughs> it sounds like a dog's licking the phone. <laughs> Not at all. I don't know of any dog doing that, but I can certainly find one. Well, well I'll give you my dog. I'll give you my dog. He'll lick the phone all day long. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you a quick story. Eight pound Yorkie, right? Yeah. Eight-pound Yorkie, I'm walking him in the park yesterday, and this monster from uh, somewhere, which I gathered looking at him, and I've had Rotties and I've had uh, Dobermans, was a mix between a, a Rot and some other big dog, like a, maybe a Shepherd or Great Dane or something. This thing was the, roughly the size of a domestic cow, and, <laughs> and it wasn't leashed. They're supposed to be. And it's heading for my, the little guy, the, the, my, the, the, the one little guy, the Bichon, who's 15 pounds. See, the, my wife wanted little dogs, and now I have them. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the big guy. I have to take the little dogs for a walk in the park. <laughs> Anyways, heading for the Bichon. The Bichon is, is 15 pounds, and he's blind. You can't see at all. He's completely blind now. And he doesn't know what's happening. The, the little Yorkie sees the hound from the Baskervilles heading for the Bichon, and at eight pounds, he hurls himself at this monster, He's all teeth and snarling. Eight pounds, Dan. This dog has, it's the heart of the dog in the fight. The monster took, <laughs> got his toes nibbled on and ran for it. 
which is like it's like now three and oh and three and oh for the little guy over dogs ten times or twenty times his size. Yeah, he's I getting to be, he's getting pretty cocky. <laughs> he's getting pretty cocky. Boston Terrier who does the same thing. Yeah, with, with they coyotes. they know no fear, huh? They just know no, no fear. No, they don't. Great little dogs, smart as nothing. But uh, when it comes to uh, size, I guess uh, for them it just doesn't matter. Yeah, he saw his buddy in danger, and it was just they wouldn't even think he didn't look it back at me. He was just suddenly in in top gear, heading for. <laughs> that's loyalty. Yeah, that's loyalty. That really he is loyalty. <laughs> yeah, it's his pack, and he's defending it. Good thing I wasn't coming after you, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, let's get at a couple of things that matter to all of this uh, country. Not so much my dog story, but uh, and and the the leading story that we've been talking about. At least it started out as the lead story. I'm not so sure the tariffs haven't overtaken it, but uh, probably not. Four point <laughs> five billion dollars from the federal government to complete. They're going to put the money on the table or in the in the, in the bank account of Kinder Morgan in order to own the uh, Trans Mountain Extension. And I've said a couple of times today, I've seen some emails from listeners suggesting this is the first step toward nationalizing the natural resources industry in this country. Uh, I don't know about that, but how do you assess this? And what's it going to do, if anything, to the price of fuel in Canada, not just gasoline, but just the price of petroleum-based fuel in this country? Well, this is what happens when uh, you wind up with three small uh, provincial seats going to the Green Party in one region of the country. Um, uh, you know, rather than signing blame, let's just point out the fact that uh, uh, the province and that party and its uh, friends in the New Democratic Party have decided that uh, they want to target our most important industry, the one that actually, uh, you know, provides revenue for uh, our much-vaunted social programs, jobs, and, of course, opportunity at a time when, of course, Everyone's getting 66 bucks for a barrel of oil. I tweeted you the other day saying it's an amazing. We're getting 39.26 for our oil. The rest of the world, even basket case Venezuela, gets 60 bucks for its oil. But Canada allows a small group of people to stop a pipeline, which in turn, uh, if you look at the narrative I and mean, you look at how this is coming down, has cost us all a lot more than anyone could have bargained for. And yet, it's still. I mean, as, as difficult as. I find it. It should never have come to this. Uh, it goes to show you that uh, our Prime Minister and his gang was really asleep at the switch, did not see this happening, uh, would not take the warnings that were out there that uh, these kind of games funded by international organizations, many of them out of Washington, D.C. and Europe, were uh, zero-targeting Canada's oil industry. No one else's, just ours. And so um, now, of course, a political error has now cost us uh, $4.5 billion, and to build will probably be another $6.5 billion. So all told, you and I are on the hook, uh, as well as 35, 36 million of us, for a total of about $12 billion. Now, having said that, they will get the money back. I have no doubt in my mind. The fact is it should never have gone to this. No. And the people who oppose the pipeline, for whatever reason, uh, the people who oppose it have clearly said, or at least some of them have clearly said, the fact that the federal government is buying it from Kinder Morgan is not going to change their agenda one bit. No, and I think it's, we've come to the point now where the federal government's going to have to say more than just committing public money, more than just making an error and sitting on the sidelines, uh, more than any of this, the federal government's going to have to be prepared to deploy sufficient security to keep uh, the miscreants away. And, uh, I mean, this is the rule of law. Uh, if there are people who are prepared to violate it or play games or twist around it, then... Uh, they have to be uh, arrested and uh, dealt with uh, under our laws. And, of course, I see that uh, there are different strategies being used and deployed to try to stop this thing. 
What this does do, however, is stop Mr. Horgan and Horgan's heroes uh, dead in their tracks. Uh, they can't now claim jurisdiction or, you know, that this is an independent company and that the company will simply walk away. Now they have to deal with another order of government, which happens to be, and I hope Mr. Trudeau is listening, uh, higher and, and certainly has paramountcy and certainly has the power to proceed willy-nilly the province. And I think that's where uh, I would now expect the federal government to quickly honour uh, the public commitment in money that they have made and honor their own pledge and get the thing built starting in August once the transaction takes place. I fully expect uh, spades in the ground and uh, this pipeline to get ahead because at the end of the day, it's a good thing for Canada. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I hear so much back and forth about what this will do to the climate and things like that. And that's all fine and dandy, uh, but it is a smidgen of the concern, not when you have countries... Uh, that are doing absolutely nothing when it comes to climate change, and they're only too willing to sell us their oil at a much higher price. I received an interesting email from uh, from Peter, and uh, he writes in part, and he writes about the losses that have been um, and, and endured or suffered by the private sector when it comes to pipelines uh-huh. or oil, and just the oil in this country. Here's just a couple of headlines that he sent. Canada's lost $117 billion in revenues, over the past seven years due to the inability to get a higher price for its oil by diversifying its sales to Asia. We know that. We spoke to Frank McKenna about yep. that. The Enbridge Northern Gateway project is cancelled due to the federal government putting a ban on oil tanker traffic on the central and north coast of British Columbia, a loss of $7.9 billion in private sector investment in the economy. TransCanada pulls out of the Energy East pipeline after the company cites two stringent new environmental regulations regarding indirect greenhouse gas emissions and stiff opposition in Quebec, a loss of $15.7 billion in private sector investment in the economy. It's not over. Uh, and it comes to this one, of course. Uh, Kinder Morgan will no longer proceed with the expansion of its pipeline, a loss of $7.4 billion in private sector investment in the economy. The federal government will spend $4.5 billion to buy the existing assets from Kinder Morgan and spend billions more, as you've just said, Dan, to complete the expansion project. That's, that's separate and apart from the $117 billion that was lost by selling our oil at a discount to our only potential, only real customer, our only available customer, the United States, over seven years. So let's look at this cost, consumers, because the inability for us to attract investments, the fact that our uh, regulatory process is now perceived internationally uh, as unreliable and as a sham and susceptible to any type of whim, uh, political... uh, uh, you know, uh, involvement of any particular organization who can twist the minds of people to try to change uh, what decisions have been made really leads to uh, much higher prices for all of us. And that's not just gasoline. I could use gasoline as the best example, of course, because it does come to mind, or diesel, or jet fuel, any of these things. Uh, you know, you're looking at an additional 15 cents a liter because we can't get our product to market. You're looking at a loss in economic activity in the, the hundreds of billions of dollars now. Uh, just based on those comments uh, by Peter. Uh, there, it seems to me that there is a significant disconnect in this country between uh, what is in fact transpiring and what uh, people are prepared to accept as the truth. And I, I see a lot of disinformation coming from people calling themselves independent economists. I've met one who outright told me, uh, with the support of CBC Vancouver, uh, that uh, Canada, uh, Vancouver doesn't import gasoline from the United States. It exports more than it imports. Uh, a a bald face uh, you know, inaccuracy. 
uh, we're at a point now where we're importing not just oil, but uh, more and more gasoline to meet our domestic needs. And so all these things are starting to cost, and it means the cost of living for average individuals just on fuel alone is an additional $700 this year. Uh, if you look at uh, the cost of diesel, how it makes its way through the economy, how this cascades into potentially higher interest rates next month. Uh, look, there is no easy answer to this, but uh, you know, the, it seems to me that clarity has to come to the Trudeaus and to the other uh, leaders in this country. If you don't sell your oil and get it to market, chances are someone else is going to do it for you, and you're going to wind up being that much more impoverished. If Canadians want to go down this road of losing their economic uh, advantages, then by all means say so. But realize that uh, rather than listening to the swan songs and the pied pipers of the environmentalism that are walking us over an economic cliff, they better smarten up. Well, but we also know you said that gasoline prices would go up by 15 cents here and 10 cents there and 12 there. You, know, you do know that the former now, uh, she's the former premier of Ontario by her own words today because she said she can't win. <laughs> wow. Kathleen, you know, she said that people wouldn't notice a 10 cent drop in gasoline prices per liter. You know, she said that. So, yeah, I she must I be right. I'm not sure if that's, you know, uh, what, uh, what she was thinking, but clearly. Uh, 11 cents, 11.3 cents multiplied by 65 liters a week. Uh, now you're looking at seven times uh, 50. So you're looking now at about $350 a year. I think for most people, that uh, constitutes a couple of weeks of groceries. You're yeah. damn right they're going to notice. Do you know what? You know what it's like when, when you consider what's happening with our oil situation? We're, we're importing now 700,000 barrels of oil a day in eastern Canada to feed the refineries that exist because we can't get our own oil to those refineries. It's kind of like, and then we have the pipeline challenges. You know what it's like? It's like having your fridge and your freezer full and turning around and saying, well, I better go buy some groceries because that fridge is too full. Well, that's it. I mean, it's uh, unusual. I don't know of any other country that does this. Uh, no other nation would throw its, uh, its advantage to the, to the wayside in favor of some idea uh, that uh, somehow they can change the temperature around the world. Uh, you know, people have to speak out very boldly on this and not be afraid of those who are going to tut, tut us or, you know, call us deniers or any other ad hominem attacks and start dealing with what is the facts in front of us. We have done our country a great disservice, and we are doing the next generation an even greater disservice by, lo- leading, uh, by, by leveling on them. Now, yes. Hold on. Dan, can you hold on? Can yep. you stay with us? Yeah, I can. Okay, let me take another quick break here, and then we'll come back with Mr. McTague. But really, all these things that they add up, and you th- start thinking about them incrementally, and then they form a picture. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. And I was just thinking that when you look at the situation in the province of Ontario, $330 billion in debt, the largest world non-sovereign debt in the world, $330 billion in debt, and uh, the hydro mess. If you don't live in Ontario, you know, you're actually far better off when it comes to hydro and some other things. Um, but children who have not, children whose parents haven't yet met are already in debt. When a baby screams for the first time in the province of Ontario, it's not the scream of life, it's the scream of fear because they already owe many thousands of dollars in debt. We talked to the Auditor General just a few weeks ago, and it was a scary conversation. More with Dan McTague when we come back. Don't go away. 
one of the most respected and experienced broadcasters in the industry. This is the Roy Green Show. Try to make a few changes on the fly here on the show today. So what I want to make sure that we do is have a segment of time available for those of you listening to the program across Canada to share your thoughts on the purchase of the Trans Mountain Pipeline by the federal government and on the tariffs on steel and aluminum that have been lowered by the uh, Trump administration, by the United States government on Canada, Mexico, and uh, the European Union. G7 conference is coming up next week. That'll be interesting. I, I, you see, I don't think Trump really cares what anybody says. His idea was make America great again, and he's doing what he thinks he has to do for the United States, and certainly we had warning and we had time. We had ample opportunity for our prime minister to get engaged. Uh, so we're going to play back uh, an interview that I recorded earlier today with an American businessman who is challenging Donald Trump and the idea of the tariffs. And then we'll take some phone calls from you. Back to Dan McTague in the three minutes we have left. So put a put a fine point to this whole issue of of the pipeline, uh, Dan. Where we're going to be? Um, where are we? Actually, I should ask you this: Where are we headed? How much of a difference is the pipeline when it's complete going to mean to the Canadian economy and of the cost of fuel in this country? Because there are those who say it's not going to matter because. Asia's not going to buy our oil anyway. Well, uh, they, uh, that wouldn't be the case because not only is Asia buying it and other commitments up front, uh, so is California. Uh, it's our second largest uh, demand for that uh, 540,000 extra barrels. Uh, that will be enough, in my view. Uh, and I've done this a lot to know what uh, that prediction, long-term and short-term, is something I'm not too bad at. Uh, this will lead to a strengthening of the Canadian dollar uh, which in turn will see it go back to where it was back five years ago, very close to the U.S. dollar, um, and that would lar- certainly have the effect of uh, mitigating the impact of rising gasoline prices. We price all of our fuel in U.S. terms, so that's the first thing. The second, Vancouver is desperately short of gasoline, the lower mainland. Um, that would certainly be arranged. Uh, there would be an additional 50,000 barrels of gasoline, light fuel, going down to that market uh, rather than importing it from Singapore, Indonesia, uh, Taiwan, and the United States. So that, too, would, uh, would have an effect on, uh, on the Canadian dollar and, more importantly, a direct impact because if you look at Edmonton's wholesale prices, they're traditionally about anywhere 15 to 20 cents less than Vancouver. Even with five-cent tolls, you're still saving anywhere from 10 to 15 cents a litre. Mr. McTague, always good talking to you. Thank you for the time. My appreciation sure. goes to you, my friend, and uh, have a great afternoon to you and all your listeners. Thank you so much. Dan McTague, senior analyst at GasBuddy.com. So when we come back, we'll tell you about the next hour, but I can tell you this much, that Catherine Swift, former CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Linda Leatherdale, the former editor of Money Editor of the Toronto Sun, and Michelle Simpson, who is a Liberal MP and sat as the seatmate to Justin Trudeau. They're all ramped up and ready to go on all of the above that we've been talking about. And your calls are going to come up as well. Please don't go away. <laughs> 